join with me in prayer. Lord, what a blessing it is to gather together in this warm space each and every week as your people. And today as we look at these multitude of texts, how we might be the salt and light you've wired us to be. We pray, Lord, that you would illumine our minds to the reality of your grace and truth in a greater fashion. That you would take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take each and every one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in this series for all of Epiphany season on evangelism. And I wonder, when you hear that dreaded E word, what goes through your mind? Evangelism. Well, some people do, but most people I know go, not me, you know, or please God, no, because I don't want to be that guy that we talked about last week, right? That pushy, that person who walks into the room and everyone just scatters, like when the light comes on, the cockroaches scatter. That's what happens when that guy comes into the room. Not me. I've tried it and it doesn't work. I'll leave that for the professionals, right? Many people have those types of fears, and this series is going to address those types of fears. Because for many, they've tried it before, and it just didn't work. Like Tommy Boy, that great 95 movie where Chris Farley playing Tommy Boy, who's an absolute piece of work, driving across the country to sell brake pads for his company that he accidentally owns because his old man croaked, is with David Spade, who plays Richard, the leading sales rep for the company. And one time, Tommy just puts on David Spade's coat. Now, Chris Farley weighed 300 pounds, wearing a size 30 coat. He starts singing that wonderful song, fat guy in a little coat, you know, and all of a sudden it rips. That's the way many of us have even tried to share our faith before, right? We tried, but it didn't have the right fit. We learned the right formula. We gave it the best shot, but it didn't fit. Well, today, rather than an expository sermon, we're going to look at various passages and see bits of how the Bible characters shared the good news. And you'll see that there's something for everyone in the God's kingdom. So turn with me in the back of your bulletin, because we're going to look at these together. Last week, we learned, before we even begin to share our faith with our friends where we live, work, and play, we have to understand, number one, that people need the Lord. Two, God's not hiding. He's real. And we learned, three, that we ourselves must grasp the gospel. So having said that and anchoring our lives, seeking the Lord first, centering our lives in seeking him in prayer, asking the Lord to use us every day, praying, being humble in this effort. I think humility is a trait that we all can learn from. The Christian life is a humble life, regularly opening us up, ourselves up to the Spirit, allowing our paradigms to be changed, whether it be certain doctrines, practices, 
being willing to be used of the Lord. Warren Webster was a great missionary to Pakistan about 25 years ago, and he came back from Pakistan and was asked to preach at the Urbana Missionary Conference. He said these words, if I had to live my life all over again, I would live it to change the lives of people because you cannot change anything until you change the lives of people. You can't change the lives of people until you allow the Holy Spirit to change you. I think that's wise. And so such change is willing to be used in any way the Lord calls us to. And what you're going to find in all these uh, techniques or fits, if you will, is ultimately it's kind of a hybrid. It's kind of like the love languages by Gary Chapman. Many of you have read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. It's great for relationships. All of us have a primary love language in the way we give and receive love. Well, sharing our faith is like this too. There's a primary way that we share our faith, but there will be secondary ones too that God can use. So let's look at these. First, we see Peter's direct approach that we heard Jerry read. I mean, you know Peter. Peter is that guy who was ready, fire, aim. Whatever he did, he did it all out. He was the first to confess that Jesus was the Messiah. And a few verses later, he's telling Jesus, he challenges Jesus with Jesus' stated mission. How many of us would look the Son of God in the eyes and say, oh Lord, no. I'll tell you who does. There are people who are direct in their communication. You might, if you have a direct style. Notice what Peter says. <laughs> Peter, when it came, he says, standing there, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. You get to the end of his Pentecost speech, this very famous Pentecost speech. <laughs> he doesn't stop there. And let all the house of Israel before know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I don't think Peter beats around the bush, does he? Some people are just waiting for a contagious Christian who won't beat around the bush to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. But will lovingly, gently, humbly articulate the good news of Jesus Christ and then ask them to respond to this good news. That's what direct people do. People who have this gift and they do it with grace and truth. God uses direct personalities too. He used intellectual approaches as well as we see in Paul's approach in Acts 17. You remember when we walked through Paul's Acts, what, 10, 11 years ago, many of you. Paul's in Athens. When you look at Paul's academic background, his organized mind is no surprise. He was highly educated, tutored under the man who was reputed to be the finest teacher in all of Israel, Gamaliel. That's where he went. So Paul's an intellectual. Who better to take the good news of Jesus Christ to Athens, the highest form of Gentile philosophers? 
And so these philosophers would not have responded to Peter at all. And so Paul wisely looks for a common ground in their culture. What can, what can we share together? And so in Acts 17 and verse 22, Paul arrives to it. And he says, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus, you can go there today, it's still there, the Areopagus, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And then he lays out the gospel. And there are people in our circles who are just like those Athenians. Christian platitudes or cliches or one-liners just won't do. It's going to take some time. They're going to ask questions. And we're going to talk about that next week. Questioning evangelism. Just listening to people first. It's a skill we need to all learn. And we're going to talk about that specifically next week. But listening to questions and walking them through the good news of the gospel over time. God uses the intellectual approach. Third, the blind man's testimonial approach. You remember this story. It's really quite funny. Kind of. Acts chapter 9. The man's blind from birth. The pool of Siloam. Jesus Bits and makes mud, rubs it on his eyes, go wash in the pool. The man washes his face. He can see. So people start asking him, how did you see? I don't know. Some, some dude laid hands on me and uh, I can now see. Who was he? I don't know. You know, <laughs> the Pharisees go up to him and ask his parents, was he always blind or was this some kind of trick? No, he was always blind. Well, how did he get his sight? And they said, I don't know. He's of age. Ask him. So they do. They still don't believe him after asking him. And he gets pretty frustrated. So after a while, those famous words that John Newton put in Amazing Grace. The blind man says, look, one thing I know. I once was blind. Now I see. Okay. It's a testimony. This is all of us. At one stage, all of a sudden, we came to ourselves. We were blind, but now we see differently. And each and every one of us have a testimony that can be used in a person's life. It's not the gospel, but it's an entry point to go there with the, a friend who doesn't know Christ. And may I suggest you keep it to one minute. If you're anything over one minute, they start to turn us off. You've heard my story, but not everybody's heard my story. I grew up in a home that where I assumed I was a Christian, but what I perceived as Christianity couldn't compete with my love of baseball and football and girls and Waylon Jennings and ZZ Top. And I found myself on a mouse wheel of performance and personal expectation that I couldn't get off of. And I lacked meaning, purpose assurance, peace, and joy. But then in my freshman year in high school, I started attending the church which I claimed to go to, which I hadn't gone to in 12 years, where I heard a gospel that I had never heard of before in my home or anywhere else. And that was 
that Jesus Christ, by his sheer grace, had secured my salvation for me upon the cross. And that I can't earn it. And I can get off my performance wheel. I don't have to worry about being good enough. He has been good enough for me, and therefore, I place my trust in him. And when I did that, I discovered a peace, meaning, purpose, and joy, and assurance that no matter what, he's with me in this kingdom today on into eternity. I was blind, but now I see. That's a minute. And after you share something like that, you can ask them, how about you? What's your story? See what they say. When was your aha moment? God uses personal testimony to bring people to himself. Fourth, we hear Matthew's personal approach. Many of you are already doing this, by the way. Luke chapter 5, you know the story. If you watched The Chosen season 1, it was a phenomenal uh, rendering of what Matthew is doing. Jesus said, we're coming to a party at your house, Matthew. So Matthew goes, okay. So he invites his friends over. And they came. These are friendships that he'd had and he built through the years. And he invited them so he could expose them to Jesus Christ. And he cared about them. And many people around us will never be reached until someone takes the time to build that kind of relationship with them. Do you like drinking coffee? Do you like drinking other forms of beverage? Can you patiently listen to another person's questions without rushing in to tell them that they need Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Can you allow the Holy Spirit to work? How many people could be mightily impacted if we would just open up our homes for a happy hour sometimes, a, a tailgate, a fire pit, invite them to our mission week, the women's luncheon, the men's night out? Do you enjoy having people into your home, sharing a meal, simply spending time in conversation? A great model for the church is Rosaria Butterfield. She wrote a great book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I warn you, it's convicting, but it's a great read. If you come into Rosaria's home, it's not nice and clean. Some of us need to get over the, the June Cleaver days that everything has to be perfect. Okay? There might be a little dust. Half of you don't even know who June Cleaver is. Look it up. All right? All right? The point is, the house doesn't have to be perfect. You walk into Rosaria's home, she says, I'm going to make dinner. Can you fold that laundry for me? She does. She's just real. Because that's who we are. Just basically kind of throwing Matthew parties. God uses the personal approach. Fifth, we see the Samaritan woman's invitational approach. What a wonderful story. Jesus had met her. She began to trust Jesus and follow Jesus. And she goes into the town in Sychar and says, come and see a man who knew everything that I've ever did. Come and see. Chapter 1, we saw Philip and Nathaniel in John's gospel. We hear it a lot. You know, Bob's church, St. Philip's, that was the, the whole theme. Come and see. Right? Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel says to Philip, Philip says, come and see. 
God uses our invitations for Christmas Eve, for the carol service, for Easter Sunday coming up, for kickoff Sunday. Just inviting people into your homes, just being a constantly inviting people. Usually people that will respond to invitations to church are those who are already asking questions. Seekers. They're still out there. Not as many as it seemed years ago, but they're still there. And that person may be just a person who might be thinking, church, can anything happen at good come from church? Come and see. Check it out. We'd love to see you. Sixth and finally is Dorcas's service approach. Unfortunate name, eh? You know, Dorcas. But Dorcas is a shining light, a shining light to that area. It is said of Dorcas, she was full of works, good works and charity. She was known for being so generous and meeting the needs that are around her, that the whole community needs. Because she gave her life away. And it's a servant ministry approach. And it was hard for the people around her to observe her activity and not get a glimpse of the love that she had for Jesus Christ that inspired her ministry. So much so that when she died prematurely, God sent Peter to raise her from the dead so that her work would continue. I encourage you to read it. People who take this approach find it easy to serve others. They see a need and they just meet it. That's how God made them. And they find joy in meeting that need. And if they, they don't care about getting the credit, their approach works especially well for you quiet, more introverted types. There are peop- these are the type of people who make the church well known in the community. And the community says of the church, what would we do without Christ Church Westchester? Because of the quiet service and blessing they are. You may not have Paul's intellectual level. You may not have Peter's boldness. You may not have the winsomeness of Matthew inviting his friends. But you're a whiz at making a meal. Your fried chicken rocks. Fixing cars. Changing a light bulb. I don't know. But as you look at these, you might see there's one primary way which you really get excited about, but there's some secondary ways too. And what you're going to find over the next few weeks is there's a little bit of all of them in all of us if we'll avail ourselves to it. It all starts, my friends, from our relationship with the Lord. That we do seek the Lord and it's out of the overflow of our hearts the good news flows. It's joining the Lord at the work around us because he is at work around us. When Chuck Swindoll was in Boston in the mid-70s, he said, it is my opinion that the biggest evangelistic center in the city of Boston is not in any church, but at a filling station run by a guy named Bob who caught the vision early in his life that his vocation and calling are wedded together. As time passed, his station became known as the place to go to For gas, new tires, servicing your car. Chuck said, I saw dozens, half a dozen cars lined up bumper to bumper near just two pumps. 
in front just to have Bob serve them. Now, he had no banner in front hanging out said, Jesus saves. He had no fish symbol, an ichthus. Nothing trite on sticker on the window of the gas station. No sign that said, bring your car to Bob and take your soul to Jesus. Bob simply just did his job and he did it well. People knew him and he was in partnership with the Lord and he led dozens of people to faith in Jesus Christ over the years. And that was 50 years ago. God is still moving among us, my friends. So let us seek the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, use me in in the fit that works for me. Find your fit and be encouraged and follow Christ. And perhaps as we walk in obedience, following the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples to go and make disciples, not merely converts, but disciples, we perhaps may see dozens and hundreds come to faith through us. Let's pray. Lord, what an honor it is and a privilege is just to see how you use all different types of personalities, Lord, to bring people into the kingdom. And I pray that you would use these models in our lives. And that this epiphany season, walking into Lent, we would see a wonderful movement of your spirit through us. And Lord, as we encourage one another in this, I ask, Lord, you would equip us. Give us the words. Give us the, the, the questions. Help us to use the word itself, whatever it might be, that people would know you because we simply say, come and see and ask good questions because we love them, because we love you. For in Jesus' name we pray.